Hello, folks. It's Noel Yantos again with Loft, and we've got another podcast coming at you today. We have in studio Mr. Kevin Rothfist, an esteemed aviator, captain at United, started off at Continental. Um, DPE in many jets and a lover of general aviation, and I think we had a hoot today. Talked about a lot of stuff. I've been friends with him forever and adore him. I hope you folks enjoy this, and uh, welcome Kevin Rothfist. I hate to say it. I've never even listened to a podcast. Well, you're gonna, you're gonna. The first one you're gonna listen to is you and me. <laughs> My God, why do I do this? You know, I could be, I could be on the beach in my thong. Damn it! You got to I said hit record when he said that. There we are. Yeah, no, we already are. I've been recording for the past three minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Kevin Rothfuss, thank you so much for coming in. I do appreciate it. We'll we'll, we'll probably not put that first portion on there. <laughs> it's up to you, Noel. I've got a root canal in about twenty minutes that uh, I got to go. Perfect. That's perfect. Thanks for coming in. I do appreciate it. You're welcome, Noel. You're my favorite. So, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. Whatever we want to. Aviation topics. You got some aviation topics. How did you get into aviation? Uh, that's a long time ago, Noel. Well, give me the short version then, with whatever your brain remembers. Probably as you, when I was knee high, I wanted to be an airline pilot. And since my father flew for United, that's where the seed came from. Beautiful. And from there, I... um, So you just, you went through the ranks, you got your private pilot at a local airport, or how did that go? I did. I got it out of Hawthorne, but I'm trying to think back. I think I, as, didn't. I sold it at 16. How old were you? Same. Yeah, same. As soon yeah. as I could. And I, I got could. and I got my license at 17. Beautiful. My private pilot license. I did the same thing. That's what I did. So we we're both almost, have a passion for. We're almost GA. identical. I'm just a little bit older and a, a much better pilot. Slightly more attractive. Yeah. Slightly. It depends on your day. Depends no. on what you're wearing. No. <laughs> have you been drinking? <laughs> That's the only way I can get through one of these, Kevin. It's the only way I can get through one of these. <laughs> um. Came up through the ranks, private pilot, instrument, went to uh, the CFI route? I did. I went, um, I got my private pilot. I got to think back now. This is a long time ago because I. I don't need exact dates. I soloed in 1975. Or you if can give I me an exact date. Right, I know. <laughs> so I got, I got my private out of Hawthorne Airport. Okay. And then I went to Mount Sac, a local uh, junior college in the Inland Empire. Okay. And there I acquired my... This entire time, you wanted to be an airline pilot, period. There oh, was yeah. nothing else. From, nope. from the very beginning. And military never crossed your path on the it, thought it, process? It did. It, in fact, in high school, I, I'm i not sure what you call it, but the recruiters were interviewing me. But once I realized I'd have to sacrifice a 10-year uh, commitment in the military, <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't want to go that long in the military, so I didn't right. do it. I went the civilian route. Well, in that time frame, too, it probably would have been a bit of a mistake. You may not even have got a pilot slot at that point. That's true. It wasn't guaranteed back then. Yeah. So you passed on that, stayed on the uh, civilian side, and then uh, I got college. all my ratings civilian-wise. I went two years at uh, Mount Sac, and then from there I transferred to a four-year school in Denver. Okay. Uh, next to your son's uh, neighborhood. Nice. And uh, at Metropolitan State College back then. I think it's now called Metropolitan University. And I was there for a year and a half, and I didn't fly. I just took 19, 20 units every semester so I could. Back then, 
to try to get hired on with the airline, um, unlike it is today. You know, we had to have 10,000 hours and a master's degree and four lunar landings <laughs> underneath our belt just to get interviewed. So yeah. I well, got, still got the my college I education, got my four-year degree, and then I came back to Southern California and, and I resumed teaching. As an instructor? As an instructor at a local flight school uh, okay. up at uh, Cable Airport. And when we came up, that was how you did it. You that's went, how I did you, it. You, you, you got to get to 1,500 hours, and that's the best way to do it is to well, start back instructing. Well, yeah, back then you had you had to have a lot more time just to get interviewed. So, and then in 19... Commuter? Or you're talking about the majors? No, the ma- well, either one, but the the primarily the majors. Never got hired on with a commuter. In 19... On purpose? Uh no, sp- I interviewed. I, I mean, I actually applied. I just never got selected for an interview. Okay. I don't know why. I just never did. And then in 1986, no, 87. Did you actually go to the interview process for a commuter airline? No. Oh, okay. But and you applied. I applied. And I don't remember I don't, how I don't really I believe applied. you. I don't really believe no, you. No, I did. I, I actually applied. <laughs> and then in night, and then, but I went the corporate route. Okay. So um, got lucky, got my first job flying a Cessna 340 for a real estate developer. Um, and that just blossomed into other So that was other a pure 91 gig. Per, all 91. Got it. And then um, then I got hired with uh, uh, Continental Airlines in 1987. Brilliant. Did you go from the 340 to Continental? Or did you fly something in between that? I, well, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag a little bit. I went to a 421. That's the whole point of this. I went to a 421, and then I went to Continental. <laughs> <laughs> Big player. Big player. Yeah, so the no. first jet you flew was for Continental Airlines, or did you start off on the panel? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if I remember. I no, I no, didn't. Fly, I, I, I didn't fly. I didn't. I didn't have any jet time. I think I had maybe five hours of turboprop time back then. Okay. But I had a lot of total time, and I had a lot of multi-engine time. Yeah. If well, I remember, three forty and four twenty-one time is just <clears throat> that's that's awesome because that's great flying. Well, that's what we had back then. Yeah. You know, it is, it's not like it is now where, you know, these kids are graduating with 1,500 hours and they're hired next day at a commuter. Right. Oh, and yeah. there's corporate jets everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And the, the, it's the the, um, uh, the job market's completely changed oh, without you know, from 30, 30 years ago. Yep. So uh, I yeah. think if I remember right, I think I had around 5,500 hours, a lot of it multi when I got hired on at uh, Continental. Okay. So you actually spent a couple of years flying the 340 and 421. Oh, yeah. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, and I still did it even after I was hired at uh, at uh, at a major airline. And so Continental, did you have to do the flight engineer side of it as well? I did. I was a flight engineer on the 727 for about a year and a half, and then I went. They displaced the airplane out of LAX, and then I went to the DC-10. I was engineer on that for about four years. Yeah, we always used to joke at American that the 72 guys were pulling their hair out at school, and the DC-10 guys were sitting at the pool. Uh, that's a true statement, but for me, it was harder for me to get checked out on the DC-10 than it was the 7-2. Really? Yeah, I'm, I was raised a Boeing dude, uh, and uh, Douglas just does things way different. So it was a little bit more of a challenging check out as an engineer on that airplane. All right, check essentials. All I remember. That's, that's it. Right. Check essential. Download and check essential. <laughs> remember that? I, I don't remember the first part. Yeah. I thought the memory item was you just had check to essential. You got to download and then check essential. All right, beautiful. <laughs> So DC-10 as an engineer, how long? For, if I remember, I think it was around four years. Oh, wow. That's quite a while then. Yeah. Okay. And then over the right seat in the DC-10? No. And then I, I left in 93. I took seven years off. I took a COLA that Continental was offering. Okay. Is that kind of like a voluntary furlough or leave of uh, absence, It's a leave of absence. Okay. And we, Why did you do that? Well, in the meantime, in 86, 
I started a charter company uh, in the Inland Empire. I didn't really do anything with it until I took my leave of absence in 93. Okay. Was that, that was KMR? That was KMR. Okay. And then I was at the right place at the right time and dove in, uh, into that business full time. Right. And we were fairly successful. You built, built that up quite we, nicely. We built that up. It was, it, was a, it was a great company. And then I sold it in 2003. Okay. And you still had not gone back to Continental. You were still on a leave of absence, I took a leave of absence for seven years. Okay. So when I went back uh, in 2000, um, I tried to get another leave of absence. Continental came back and said, no, that you either quit. Yeah. Give up the seniority number, I heard or that. yeah, or yeah, you know what? That you, you've lived those. You've lived that dream. I was I was in the front row for yeah. that experience yeah, exactly. as well. <laughs> so I had to go back to work, and then um, I was in the process of uh, selling KMR, um, and then I. What actually, was the impetus for selling that? Was it you just get tired? I, or? I I just I couldn't do it all. I had a you know trying to have a family life. Running a business, as you know, running a business twenty four seven and flying full time for a major airline. Yeah, there's just isn't enough days in the week. So you had gone back to Continental while you were still running KMR. Yeah, I don't know how you did that. I sold that in '03, and then um, I think in '04, Elite Aviation, a larger charter company out of uh, Van Nuys, uh, hired me as a DO. Okay, and I went there for two years, and then I finally resigned. And that's when I dove full-time into being a pilot examiner. And you, as you were that DO for Elite, that is actually when you got into the Czech Airman side of, of flying, correct? No, or did you I do got, that prior to that? No, my, my experience, my, my Czech Airman, ex, initial Czech Airman experience was all KMR. It was? Okay. Yeah. Were you a DPE at the time? Well, the, yeah, it, it, the latter part of that, yes. FAK, actually, this is going to sound very strange. The FAA actually came to me and said, we want to make you a DPE. No, that sounds perfectly reasonable. I I think they've done that with a lot of folks because they, you know, they're looking for a certain amount of talent. And when they, when something like that comes across their radar, that's who they want as a, you know, representative of the FAA. And I I get it. I wasn't asked. I had to plead vehemently and and get on my knees. But I I think yours was a different situation. Somehow I understand that. (laughs) (laughs) That's, we'll get into that topic later. Yeah. (laughs) That's after hours. <laughs> That's at the end of the podcast yeah. when I forget that it's actually recording. <laughs> or the engineer tells us that we stopped recording and he's still recording. <laughs> We're going to have an E next to this podcast, just so you know. There That's is right. going to be one. That's right. <laughs> All right. So the, the Czech Airman stuff actually occurred in conjunction with KMR, and you yes. carried that over to Elite with you. I carried it over to Elite, and then... Um, um, and then I contracted myself out to other charter companies that needed it also. Excellent. Excellent. And that's actually coming around full circle with FA changing uh, things in the agency that I've been approached again to come back and start doing uh, 135 check and run work. Interesting. Does that interest you? Yes. My, I have a big passion for charter, for mm-hmm. 135 charter business. Yeah. I think um, we both do. That's the yeah. general aviation aspect of it is really yeah, attractive. That's, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, I really enjoy that as you do. Right. Um, the uh, my reservation with it is it's more work. Yeah, and you know you're already I, burning candles. Yeah, I'm already I'm pretty strapped as it is. So now I got to get you in this room was a was an act of Congress. Yeah. <laughs> so you a um, couple of years at Elite, and then um, you went essentially full time. Then as a that's before United bought Continental, correct? So they merged. That's correct. But prior to that, you were still working, um, flying for Continental and doing DPE duties um, after you left Elite, correct? Were these were those the only two things you were doing? Yeah, I was. Uh, that's correct. And then um, 
uh, I was still a co-pilot at Continental. But that was quality of life choice, right? Right. It was quality. Yeah, yeah I was actually. Because uh, I know, I know you could have held captain way. Yeah, earlier I than actually, you actually waited took it. from start to finish. I waited twenty-four years to upgrade to the left seat. I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. I mean, most guys these days too, at least from what I've seen from the American seniority list, are purposely staying on larger equipment as FOs because of the schedule. They're making the same amount of money, you know, and they're able to really control their life. Quality of life just goes through the roof if you're able to get to that seniority level. And that's that. That's what I struggled with too, was being low on the seniority list. And then after September 11th happened and, you know, getting knocked all the way back down and then having the T-Way guys inserted and the USA, USA guys inserted, it got tiresome to look at it and just continue to lose ground and then not be able to control that quality of life. But that's what you have now though too, right? Is at this point, even as a, as a captain for United, you had waited long enough to where you had seniority to be able to have a good quality of life in the left seat, correct? Yes, and I'm fairly senior out of L.A. I'm number, uh, what, six now on the airplane. Oh, that's wonderful. So, that's wonderful. you know, my, my trips, I, I leave in the morning, I go to Kona, I go to the beach, I come back the next day. You and a thong. Yeah. That's well, outstanding. There's the, there's the goosebumps again. <laughs> So passion for both of us, I think, too, is general aviation. That's where I got my start, you know, working as a line guy and then going into aviation. It's all I cared about. I think as we had gone through our careers, I think we have similarities in that we always fall back to that general aviation side, which I think is what has grounded and rooted you, too, to that DPE side. Now, I think probably it's a whole nother podcast just talking about DPE stuff, but I did want to touch a little bit because I think it's, it's an interesting subject. You and I do a lot of type ratings together. We do the training, and you'll do the checking. And um, we have in-house TCEs, check airmen, but it's simulator-based, and it's much different uh, checking. It's the same, you know, ATP practical test standards, but it's different in the airplane than it is in the sim. And so we've talked on some of our podcasts about the intricacies of the check as it relates to the the simulator-based training. But in the aircraft side of it, and you have a lot of authorizations in different jets, Honda jet most recently, how do you uh, like that airplane? That's correct. Um, I do like it. It's got some quirks, but it's a great airplane. Excellent. And there's not there's not a lot of those out yet. No. Uh, I went to school at Flight Safety in May. And How, dare I, How, dare <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? How dare you mention them? And I loved it. <laughs> Flight Safety is the best. There's no question about it. Anybody denies that, then, you know, CAE, though, is right at the top of that list as well. I mean, they, they do phenomenal training. One of the reasons I got into it. Well, and, and that was a three-week program? Uh, it was, let's see, what, 17 days? Okay. But when uh, when I was there, we got to go to the factory, which is right next door, and they had 120. The highest serial number I saw on the assembly line was 126. Holy moly. So they're pumping them out then. I, I guess they are. Yeah. And I think they have, they've sold quite a few of those positions because there were many years of R&D before. I think they even, if, correct me if I'm wrong, they clean-sheeted that airplane, went all the way through the process, stopped and redid everything again, correct? So, I mean, this is like a second-generation Honda Jet. This is like the Honda Jet 2. Yeah, and they've just upli- uh, upgraded the the Honda Jet again. They now call it the Elite. The Elite. Yeah. Avionics? Engines? Uh, no, just uh, it's mostly fuel, and they streamline the airplane a little bit, uh, I think around the tail and the wings, and uh, uh, supposedly it's faster and it's got a little bit more range. Oh, very nice. Very nice. So, so from a from our standpoint, you know, we have a mixed um, clientele, professional pilots, blue-collar guys, white-collar guys, and then the owner-operators. 
and I assume that you have some of the same mix, um, 50-50. What would, you, what would you weigh it as far as owner-operators versus the pro guys that come to you? I think that it would be hard to – I do such a mix, but I would think the, uh, over 50% is professional pilots. Okay. And then – because a lot of the owners, as you know, they're going to – they need simulator-based training. They're going to come to you. Yeah, yeah. You know, versus coming to me. Right. So. Yeah, the insurance companies are, are pretty restrictive on who can do the in-aircraft training. And I am finding what I'm seeing now is that the insurance companies are digging their heels in a little bit more. They're requiring simulator-based training. And they're also requiring – I've had the third guy now come to me to get a commercial license in a jet. And they're requiring the commercial. Yeah. Interesting. The, ins- the insurance company yeah. is. They're that makes sense. The, they're requiring the commercial. Well, it's a more refined certificate. You know, it's it's not as refined as the ATP, but it definitely there's a difference between the private pilot and the commercial just based on the requirements to get that. So I, I, I can see that. I think the insurance company is just looking for further edu- education. Yeah, I like that. So. I like that. And especially, too, with the new ACS, I don't know if you saw, they did release a draft of the ATP practical test standards now in the ACS format with the special emphasis areas and all that added in. It's an interesting read. I mean, I was puzzled I haven't by had it. a chance. I've been so busy, I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, but I, I am going to take a look at it. I asked our local FAA, and they said, too, hey, you know, when you guys, when this thing comes out, we're going to sit you all down, and we're going to go through a, you know, a, a structured class on educating you guys on this, because I kind of held up my hands and went, hey, I'm, I'm kind of, I read the preamble, went through it. I'm a little, I'm a little, curious as to how this stuff kind of mixes together and now there's actually code so if there's an unsatisfactory on a check you know it's like 1416 and you look at that line and it just tracks what the special emphasis area was the task and the exact thing that the applicant was unsatisfactory at which is interesting so then you'll just put those codes like the written test results come in the code format, and you just put that on the on the unsatisfactory form. Not that we ever unsat anybody, but if in the future at some point that happened. I think that only happens at Loft. <laughs> so you've done both. You've spent your career in simulators and your career in airplanes. Um, and we don't have to, you know, get in the weeds here and redefine the, the wheel, but what would you say some of the differences are in your experience in doing checks in the sim versus doing checks in the airplane or just the, the overall training experience of those two? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is when you do a practi- conduct a practical exam in an airplane, there's a lot more risk. Yeah. And, you know, like a true V1 cut, well, that's acceptable maneuver or task rather in the simulator, but in the airplane, you've got to be really careful. I think you and I have both seen applicants yeah. do some strange I, stuff. I think you and I have scared yeah. ourselves a couple times doing <laughs> that. That is the wrong rudder, and when, when they won't <laughs> yeah. let go, we get concerned. Yeah. I think you still have a bruise on your thigh from me hitting it. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my favorite moments. Yeah. Buddy, you better get control up there. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I was in therapy for a month over that. Yeah, I've never seen those lights through the side window before right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so risk is the first and foremost that jumps to your mind and then how do you mitigate that risk well there's just sops that you know for example they've actually changed the pts as you know it's not they don't call it v1 cut anymore it's engine failure after liftoff so you wait till all three wheels are in the air and you're committed to right. fly then you just bring a thrust lever back to idle yeah we were all doing that prior yeah. to the change too because it just got too sketchy Way yeah. too. I mean, we saw some accidents. The West Wind accident that I think occurred several years back. And I think that was an examiner on board that that happened to. That was, was a V1 cut that went awry. Yeah. All right. So risk mitigation and then risk itself. Um, what else do you feel is a, a 
difference in, in, in just the checking environment, airplane versus simulator? It, depending where you're at, I mean, you have to contend with ATC, and sometimes that can be pretty challenging yeah. in a busy environment. Especially in the weather, because you'll, yeah. you'll actually fly in the weather, correct? Or do you yeah, do that fact, up to the I applicant? Just, I, just, I recently just moved to Idaho, and I did a... I'm so jealous. I you know, know that, right? Know. You understand that? I'm going to send you pictures. Oh, I'm so jealous. I'm so proud of you for committing to that, too. <laughs> <laughs> As a pilot group, we tend to exaggerate on occasion, yeah. and I've heard some people exaggerate that they're going to give it up and they're going to go to the Great White North, and you you did it. Nicely done. Yeah, it's because a, i got a place in Montana, it. and I'm going to share your rocking chair one day. I'm getting up there, too. I'm done. Maybe not tomorrow. All right. We got off on tangent. Yeah, it's it's a... Um, so Idaho, weather. Now I forgot what I was saying. Weather. Weather. Oh, Contending I, I, with weather. I, I did a practical, conducted an administrative practical exam just last week up in Coeur d'Alene, but it was one of those days where it was pretty low ceilings. And we did all the approaches uh, in the air work, but we were in actual conditions and the approaches were down to minimum. Jeez Louise. So, yeah. Do you leave yeah. that up to the applicant? I mean, are they, do you guys have a discussion about that prior to, you I, know, well, yeah, I, how I, you I, feel I, about that? Yeah. If yeah. they, if they want to subject themselves to that. Because I know some DPEs are just, they're just the VFR. It, we're, even if we're doing an IFR practical test or whatever the case may be, we're going to do it in VFR conditions, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't have the same philosophy, but I think that I, I understand it, you know, from a protection standpoint. So weather, weather is a contention, obviously. We can set the weather in the sim, but we're still stapled to the ground. That's right. So. You know, the, I mean, there's the weather, the ATC environment, um, you know, there's... And you're in the real airplane. I mean, you, you could only let the risk go so far before you're out of your comfort zone. Right. right. Now, you've worn those shoes. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's. I found, too, that as we did more and more instructing in the jet, I became less and less comfortable doing it. But it's still a part of our, you know, dossier. We still offer that because it's – if the client wants it, the client wants it. So we'll we'll offer that that process. But I noticed that as I did more and more of it, I started backing down on what I would let acceptable happen. Perfect example is when I first started doing it, I used to say, there's nothing you can do to this airplane I can't fix. <laughs> I really stopped saying that pretty quickly because that's just not true. You know, having a, an applicant, um, a, a, one of our Korean students put us into a half spin in a citation. I mean, just I've never seen anything like that before. You know, so the fact that that actually happened and I didn't think it was possible for that to happen takes you and you keep moving that line back. So at some point I got to the to a, a comfort level for myself where I said, these are the things I'm just not going to stray into. And I think that for us personally, I think that's where the simulator can take over too from that point forward in that some of those elements – we can take them outside of their comfort zone because in the sim there's no harm, no foul. So they get to crash if they want to. So we can take them outside of that box. Same thing with the upset recovery, taking them outside of that box. Right. There's just certain things we can't do safely in the airplane. Right. That makes perfect sense. So, well, you can't actually activate a firelight, right? Yeah, blow down the gear. There's a you know there's a variety of things. We, we uh, um, verbally tested those uh, standards, but... There's just there's certain things that just aren't practical or safe to do in the airplane. Right. I'm finding the older I get, the less risk I want to take. Absolutely. That you was know, exactly my, my point. Probably my biggest concern is doing uh, check rides. Um, it's other airplanes. Right. You know, I mean, I've had some pretty close calls in these busy terminal environments yeah. conducting practical exams. I agree with you. It's the old motorcycle adage, right? It's not the motorcycle that's going to kill you. Yeah. It's the car going through the yeah. intersection that's going to take you out. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, TCAS has certainly helped. You know, I, we, we talk about it in the upset recovery um, course in that, you know, CIFIT was a huge issue for many, many years. Lots of, of uh, hull losses, et cetera, et cetera. Chip whiz comes along, CIFIT just dives down. TCAS, same way. 
TCAS for me, I don't think we would do what we do without TCAS. Because it is, we did it. We did it for years without it. Right, and we just didn't know what we didn't know. <clears throat> yeah. But now you can see that target, and it's. I. I'm happy about the ADSB in and out as well. I think that'll be very helpful to just knowing where everybody else is. I have ADSB in and out just in my bonanza, and I love it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a great ad, and I think the the FA has done a good job of tracking those elements that are always problematic towards the aviator. The one we've never been able to crack though is just good old fashioned loss of control. And I think that URPT, you know, the upset recovery programs that are coming out, I was having this conversation with somebody else, is that even the insurance companies now, UBS has already made the decision that, hey, you know what, every other year, you go to upset recovery and we'll give you credit for the in-aircraft training. Well, that means they get it. That means they're following it. FAA obviously would never approve that under the 6158, but it makes sense, you know, and I like that. So well, we've just, um, my last recurrent training cycle at united uh we spent one whole day just on upset recovery that's perfect we spent four hours in the sim doing it and it's mandated in 2019 121 is going to have to do it they're 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 done with it now they're like that's it 121 mandated 2019 upset recovery and then it's going to fall down through to 135 and then to us as a 142 school by 2022 all of our sims have to have real life stall data recovery data etc etc we're already working on the packets to make that happen but I think that's a good way to move because I think there's a lot of pilots that have not been upside down in a jet. And you don't want your first time to be for real. As you know, on a type ride, you have to shut down the engine and start it back up. <clears throat> I can't tell you how many airline pilots I've flown with that have never done that. It's amazing, isn't it? They've all done it just in the sim. Yeah, that's amazing. That's just amazing because there are differences. I don't care. And then we talk about it with our clients, too, and that just the wind noise. You know, I asked an applicant the other day, we were having a discussion. I said, what happened there? I said, you just completely overspeeded the airplane. And his comment to me, which was completely valid, you know, if I'd have done that in a real airplane, it would have been so noisy, I wouldn't have heard myself. And I would have looked up and said, what is this going on here? It's a good point. You know, that level D certification of a device is extremely important for just that reason. It's got that noise associated with it, you know? And so I think that that's, that's a good point that he made, that there's some stuff you can't can't duplicate G-forces. Yep. can't do it. Yeah. So from a DPE standpoint, you – and again, I, this is probably a, for another discussion, but we'll just touch on it briefly um, – common mistakes that you see. Because for me, it's a, it's a nervousness that starts to elicit into other issues. <laughs> yeah, well, it, 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 depending on the applicant, if they're not a professional pilot, I spend probably the first 45 minutes – trying to calm them down enough so they could just answer a question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. you know how that is. Because that's usually the first time they've been through this process. You know, coming out of a King Air or something like that, they haven't I, had to have done I'm it. real big on concepts, that they understand the con concept and what the FA is looking for with some of these tasks. And I find there's a lack of understanding among a lot of applicants of what they're really, uh, what they're striving for as an end result when they, you know, like they do lose an engine after takeoff. Um, I find the ones that are inexperienced are really in a hurry yeah. to fix a problem uh, to the point that it's a detriment to them. Right. Um, well, they're usually, if they can afford a jet like that, they've had some success in their life. And that success is usually associated with aggression and stick to itiveness. Yeah. And I don't know that that translates all the time well into the aircraft environment. It's, a, it's just a, it's not a hard learning curve, but it's a learning curve that has to take place. Yeah. So, so that's a big one for you. Uh, I, too much in a hurry. Um, not, you know, I tell everybody, look, before you go in, into any practical exam, as you know, 
you got to know the limitations and you got to know the memory items. Sure. That's Sometimes basic. they don't. Yeah. Road, yeah. road is adequate. Yeah, they have to have. They got to <laughs> yeah. know it. They got to yeah. know it. And we try to impart how important that is and that if you don't do these three things, there's going to be a problem. You won't have time to find the checklist. Right. That's why there's so it's not, you know, we're not trying to put undue pressure on you to, to have these things memorized. There's there's a method to the madness. I, I have a uh, practical exam this afternoon by with a young man named Josh, and I am going to spend quite a bit of time counseling him on uh, what we're going to be doing. Excellent. 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 What about the experienced guys? Um, Gals. Both. Well, can we talk about you? Sure. I would love that. I would love that. I would love to expose all my idiosyncrasies. <laughs> Go for it. Hit me with it. <laughs> you, are, if you're referring to one Mustang landing, I have a different opinion of that landing, sir, than you do. All I know, Noel, is when you flew the Mustang with, and I was this in the allegedly. right seat. This is okay? allegedly. Well, no. we were, I, it's just like watching a crime. I have a completely different opinion of who the shooter was. No, no, no. It, <laughs> I, Go ahead, spit I, it out. I probably shouldn't say this. But no, I'm not shy. You know, when you conducted your ILS. I don't, I don't even remember that. I, I thought the localizer and the glide slope were in a sword fight. <laughs> <laughs> if you're referring to my Ray Charles maneuver, I understand completely. I understand completely. No, let's be I honest. I thought that's what you asked for. But no, to, in the practical no, test standards. No, let's be honest. Really? Right. The only time you're on course is when you're going through it. All right. Here, now. We here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. If you misunderstand a maneuver within the practical test standard, and you said stall, and I heard steep turn, and I do a steep turn, that is not an unsat, sir. So I believe it or not, it starts at the delivery. If I'd have heard ILS, you would have gotten ILS. I thought you said steep turn. Noel, to be honest, I if I'm ever half as good as you are, I'll be satisfied in my career. There we go. That I had a successful go. career. Uh-huh. All right. Very good. <laughs> You're going to owe me some money for that statement. Well, there's no monetary reason we can't get through this podcast That's together. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cha-ching. <laughs> All right. So moving along into our final phase of, of flying, what do, you, what do you see as the – I mean – the future for what you want to do in aviation, um, you, you've done it all. I mean, that's it, and that's a compliment to you, Kevin. You've you've become an airline captain at a legacy carrier. You've become a check airman, and you have stayed true and enjoyed general aviation and your single engine bonanza that you own. Um, what else is there other than the float plane that you're going to include me in? Yeah, we're, yeah as what's, you, what's as you know, we're going to get a mall together, and we're going to go fly in the backcountry in Idaho. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. On floats. Yes, on so. floats. We're going to get our seaplane rating. That's yes. that's one goal I want to do. No, the only thing I really have left, I, I think one more avenue that I want to pursue in aviation is, um, and I'm going to do it pretty soon, I'm going to go to the wide body in the left seat. Excellent. And either the seven eight or the triple seven. Brilliant. And um, finish up your career in that, you think? I'm gonna. I think I'm going to yep. finish up my career. I got five and a half years to go. Right. And both of us, and I don't think we're tooting our own horn here too. Both of us have taken into consideration and have at great length put a lot of effort into um, helping the next generation. Because as we both know, there's been a pilot shortage for 40 years. Um, that's never really come to fruition, but boy, is it now. I mean, there is no question. All the pointers, the retirements at American, United, um, all of these legacy airlines are going to be hurting for pilots, and the quality of aviators that need to come up to the ranks should have the same 
you know, the same training that we did, the same exposure to the environment that we did, because I think that's the best aviator. And if we can give back to that, I think that's really important. Well, I'm a firm, I'm a firm believer. We're all put here to help each other. Agreed. And I love one passion that I do have is I love to mentor kids. And I've had the opportunity to take people that uh, Josh, for example, he worked at a hobby store when I met him. <laughs> you, you remember that, Josh? <laughs> it was, uh, he he was great with the RC airplanes. All right. And then I think I. Uh, That's good, though. That's good. Yeah. That in the video games as well. It's a good skill set. And we took, uh, I think we flew, didn't we fly to Catalina? I can't remember. Is it something like that? So I've had the opportunity to work with him and mentor him and get him his time. And we're going to um, uh, work through his type rating and his multi He's going for your first today. jet type rating today. Yeah. Outstanding. Congratulations. So we're going to get that, be fun. that done this afternoon. But to me, that's what it's all about. Yeah is helping somebody like him that, not that he can't do it without me, but you and I have the resources that are available to, yes. uh, you know, let somebody else try this and take them to the next level. And, and it's just and like, just realize, I just want them to realize their dream. Yeah. And it's just, I I personally believe too, it's, it's, it's a renewing for us in that you get to see it new again through their eyes. You yeah. know, just like when you're raising kids, it's the same thing. When they don't understand something, it brings you back to that moment when you didn't understand that either. And be, becoming a jaded old you know, pilot that's just flying the line until he keels over is probably not the answer for guys like you and me. Yeah, that's one reason I've I've been an active flight instructor since 1978, I think, if I remember right. And you had a license at least till the 80s, right? Uh, I had a what? A pilot's license at least till the 80s. To, uh, to, Nothing. Uh, You're going to stomp never. on my joke? You're no. going to stomp right on my joke? <laughs> <laughs> See, if you had a coffee instead of a vitamin water, you would have got that one. <laughs> I understand, no. We, we, we had to get there eventually. It's the, it, it, I have to make you look less I, than me. That's the whole point of this. Uh, <laughs> no, I have it's a the root, only way I feel better about myself. I have a root canal in about 20 minutes, <laughs> no. We better wrap this up. I, I can't be late for that. <laughs> so I see. So we're, we're not done. I thought we were done. All right. What? Go ahead. My... No. <laughs> my you're a John Deere lover. You're a lover I'm a, of John Deere. I'm Deere's. a lover. Yeah, I'm an addict. It's bad. It's bad. But, but you're preparing but for got, your retirement. Got, yes, I'm preparing. And my goals in retirement is, you, Noel, I just want to drive John Deere's. Yep. I want to fish as good as you can. Well, that's not going to happen. I'm going to watch Hee Haw, and I'm going to smoke weed. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's what my buddy said. My buddy it works for Northwest. He's a Northwest captain. He goes, you know what, Noel? I got one goal. When I hit 65, I'm going to go home and roll the... Biggest joint I can yeah. possibly imagine and smoke. <laughs> He's my hero. I want his address. Now give me his latitude and longitude coordinates. So tell me about the John Deere's. I, I keep forgetting to ask you about that. You've got how many of these things now, and they're I, all old. Noel, I just bought a new one. Oh, bless you. Uh, you mean a new one, as in a new, a new antique, a new tractor? Because I have to have a tractor to to plow the driveway. A brand new 2018 a, John Deere. A 28. It's so oh, it's so much fun. Oh, that's delightful. You know, I just in, bought, I, in, I, in Idaho. I just bought a, a beautiful house on ten acres in Idaho. All right, and now, I, now you're I was showing off. And I am a little. And I was telling Josh, <laughs> you know what the best part about owning ten acres is? The ten acres that is not close to your neighbor, can't see another light. You get the pee in oh, the front lawn. There we go. Is that really what it comes down to? That really is what it comes down. That to. That is living the dream so in you, Idaho. You buddy. are an animal. You just want to pee everywhere and mark your territory. Well, a little. <laughs> <laughs> How many tractors you got? 
I got actually 13 now. 13 tractors. All Love John it. Deere's. All, well, through the years. I have a shirt that says, friends don't let friends drive red tractors. Here we go. Here we I'm go. I'm going to give you that shirt. <laughs> all Love an, it. All antiques except for the one you just bought. All antiques. In fact, I have my grandfather's, a 1935 John Deere Model A. Outstanding. Fully restored. Runs great. That is just you, outstanding. You and your bride need to come to Idaho and live the dream, and we're going to go on a tractor ride. <laughs> we're the doing. best part, we're in a gated community, Noel. Yeah. The best part, our mailboxes are on the main road. Right. And No, the best part is I don't have the code yet. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the But the mailboxes are two miles away from the house, oh, okay? Awesome. Guess what I get to do every day? Get on your tractor and drive and down I get to mailbox. get on my tractor and drive down and get the mail. <laughs> Even in the snow. Even, Even in, in the, the snow. snow. Yeah. I'm more excited about that than I am buying the house. <laughs> <laughs> How are you getting them all up there? Well, I got three up there right now. Oh, and you I, did? Okay. And I just drove down with my tractor-trailer thing that I got, and I'm going to take two more up on Sunday. Okay. So you can just, you'll just you just do them that way as, as opposed to hiring somebody to drag them up there? Yeah. I can't. They're, they're, they're the family jewels. I can't do that. Yeah, it's too yeah. much risk. Yeah. We talked about risk management earlier. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> this is a perfect application yeah. in the John Deere environment. I yeah. gotcha. Yeah. So I, we just have to take care of our tractors are, are by ourselves. Excellent. Excellent. So. I love it. Well, I'm I'm tickled pink that you found that retirement goal. That's that's everybody's dream, and then you made it happen, my friend. Nicely you're, done. You're you're gonna. I, I just can't wait for you. I want to see your house. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, my I son know. has. He, he did, says did he it's say incredible. All right, I like it. He, he uh, didn't say much. All I did was bitch at him about his back cast. And I know. I to... told him that. I, told, I said, son, I said, your back cast, it's, Noel says it needs a lot of improvement. He goes, I know, Dad. Just... He told me every time. Yeah. 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 He goes, we don't need to talk about that anymore, Dad. <laughs> I saw the two geeses. Gooses? Yeah, what do you say? What do you say? Yeah, goose. Two goosey shot. Yeah. Yeah. Canadians. Yeah. He, he loves it, man. He yeah, loves it. He's perfect. never coming back to California. Right. Never. He's in Billings. Keaton. Billing. Keaton. Going yep. to school in, in, uh, in Billings up in uh, Rocky Mountain. Outstanding, great college. He's gonna get, and he's gonna he's gonna be an airline pilot. Is, I try to talk him out of it, but he won't listen. Uh-huh. It's so. in the blood. Apparently, it's in yeah. your family. Yeah, but uh-huh. it, if he if he follows through, he's gonna be golden man when he. Re- oh yeah, right he'll, now he'll, oh, uh, he smokes. He'll uh, graduate with a thousand hours, and then uh, graduate on a Friday and on a Monday go to work at a regional. Oh boy, can't he skip the regionals? Well, Can't we do that? We maybe. Can skip the we'll try. I mean, no offense, but I went to Mesa for two years, and it was the worst experience I didn't, of my life. You know, that's one thing I didn't know about you. You actually worked at Mesa? Two years. The second year, I walked into the chief pilot's office. I was on the Dash 8. Second year, I walked into the chief pilot's office. I put my W-2 down on the on the table. And it said $7,200. And I said, guys, I quit. I can't do this anymore. I, can't. I didn't know that. I didn't know you did yeah. that. Fort Collins. I was based in Fort Collins. Actually, I started off in Rapid City and then went to Fort Collins, and I was flying the Dash so 8. On the, yeah, on the da- so you flew, so you hit Aspen. Oh, yeah. And, well, and we didn't rifle. go to Aspen and the Dash, but we went into all those. Yeah, we couldn't go into Aspen, but everybody, everywhere else we did, rifle all day long. So you're flying that thing in the wintertime across the Rockies. Yes. Oh, boy. I have never seen so much ice in my life. I have never seen so much weather in my life. And, and then the thunderstorms, autopilot worked maybe one out of ten flights. You know, all hand flying. Wouldn't have traded that flying for the world, though. It, it changed me as an aviator. It changed me because you saw everything, and everything was scary. Quick story. I don't well, want to get, I don't this, get up on tangent. This is when you were hand flying? Hand flying. Okay. All, oh. <laughs> do you see what he did there? You see what he did there? Because I, I, I saw what you sure. did there. I saw what you did I there. remember when you and I were flying. You were trying to there circumnavigate some thunderstorms, and all I heard, you made a, a command decision and looked at me and said, let's make a 360 and get out of here. <laughs> 
Worked out, though, didn't it? Worked out. I remember. Yeah. Kept us clear yeah. for at least a couple minutes. Yeah, we had to replace the radome <laughs> and all the engine inlets, but uh, after that, it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> this is the learning experience that I'm talking about. Going to Rapid City. Terrible weather. Oh, snowing yeah. in the Dash 8. Coming home after an eight-leg day. Captain tells me straight away, listen to me, Noel, when we get out, we bust out, do not turn on the landing lights. Don't do it. Leave them off. Right? Didn't listen. Pop out, airport sight, reach up, snap the landing lights on. Airport goes away. <laughs> Until you see what lights do to snow That's right. and visibility, you wouldn't have known that. And That's he right. told me ahead of time, don't do that. Don't do it. So those type of learning experiences I think are invaluable. However, $7,200 for second-year pay. Come on, we gotta. Isn't that unbelievable? Paid by the mile. I want to say what zero zero seven cents a mile or something. Boy, did we never go missed. <laughs> We'd do anything to build up our flight time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was a learning experience, but um, I, 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 invaluable. I wouldn't have wanted. I would not have wanted to not have that experience, but it was rough. It know? makes you who you are today. Yep. Well, it makes me appreciate too. You know the level of training that had occurred at American. The level of pay, you know, the retirement, just and you and I talked about it at great length, and that giving that up, which I had to, you know, to keep doing this at Loft, um, was an astonishingly painful decision to make. I just I didn't want to leave, you know, but the, sometimes you can't do everything as you learned at KMR. Just can't do it all. Yep. So, well, there you go. Living the dream. Well, Kevin, I can't thank you enough for sitting and chatting with us. I'd love to do this again if you're up for it. There's there's lots of aspects of what you've done in aviation that I think, again, is part of this process of what we're doing with the podcast is just trying to give back a little bit, some of the experiences we've had. So if you're up for it, I'd, I'd love to have you again, but I won't keep you forever. I look forward to it. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Big K. Bye. Bye.